Chris Sizemore, and you're listening to Stronger Than. I have Becca with me. She is a mom. She's a friend of mine. We actually met through Houston Moms. Um, we're both writers. And so, um, I don't know. When did, did we start talking at that first event, or was it at uh, the picture thing? It was probably on Instagram, because, you know, I'm yeah. uh, pretty chatty over there. Yeah, same. I think I got inspired immediately by you and your outdoorsiness. Oh, and thank your, like, you. Camping and your y'all like lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hadn't found many people in Houston who kind of like live the way that y'all live, the oh. way that we live. I love it. I love it. So I think what was crazy to me was you were like, I have interstitial lung disease. And I was like, that's the exact thing my mom has, which. Oh, I totally remember that. Which was shocking to me because I've literally met no one else. No one. And so I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and so I've kind of, I've walked my the road with my mom on this and she's on the last podcast and talks a little bit about it. So I know a little bit about your story just from living it through my mom, which I'm sure is a very similar experience. It's funny. I remember that conversation that we had on Instagram when I guess I posted something about interstitial lung disease and you were like, wait, you have that? My mom has that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Cody, I was like, my husband, I was like, somebody else has it that I know. How exciting. And then I was like, well, it's not exciting. But right. it was so nice because I only, at that point, I knew or know one other person mm-hmm. who's had it and had a lung transplant since um, getting diagnosed. But other than that, I didn't know anyone. So it was, that might have been our first, like, when I was like, oh, this will be my person. Yes. It's going to be my friend. Yes. I know it. I love it. Uh, so basically, my experience was pretty chaotic and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had some autoimmune symptoms, the backstory kind of, for uh, a couple years, but had seen probably 10 doctors and no one could figure out what was wrong. They just kept saying, yeah, I don't know. These symptoms are weird. Go see someone else Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And so finally, the stubborn person that I am, I was like, you know what? Everyone has failed me. I'm just going to be done with the medical system. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I had like a, what I thought was a sinus infection, mm-hmm. which I didn't go to the doctor because I had, you know, I was done with that. And eventually I got like really sick. I was like, could barely talk without coughing. I had to take off of work, which was rare. So I was like, I'll go to the doctor. Let me make sure I don't have COVID or something that I'm like spreading. Cause at this point I sounded pretty gnarly. So this is, I'm assuming 2020. This is, I'm sorry. This is um march 1st of 2021 okay and then you're not even in houston at this point correct no we live in louisiana um so i was working for hospice we lived in a very small town in louisiana we were just trucking along living your very typical small town life um so i go to the doctor on march 1st and she's like you don't have any respiratory virus she was like, you don't have the flu, you don't have COVID, you don't have RSV, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. She was like, you need to go get a chest x-ray though, because you sound really bad. So she calls me after hours um, and she was like, you have double pneumonia. She was like, and I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. I literally couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, if things get worse, go to the emergency room. And I laughed at her. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, <laughs> me, I will never go to the emergency room, never. 
never been to the hospital other than to deliver Robbie. It's just not going to happen. Like, okay, thank you. Right. I'll like heal myself because I'm just going <laughs> to wait it out. I don't this it was, It's I'm, it's crazy to me like to hear your story which you shared with me before because it is identical to my mom's story. Like I can see that. She was just very much like, I'm not in the hospitals. Doctors are the worst. And I'm just going to do everything naturally. Like she was, which like guaranteed natural healing. There's medicine there. Like there's a lot. That's real, real stuff. Right. Like, I was past that point. I was way yeah. Past and that point. she was way past that point. And she legit just called me and we talked about it in the last podcast. And she was just like, hey, so I went to my doctor and she said, if I don't go to the emergency room, I might die tonight. So I think I'm going to go. And I was just like what yeah i'm thinking about going and i was like i'm gonna come get you right now and we're gonna go like that's what we're but it was like it it was so much the same yeah experience and so by the by that evening that was probably like 5 p.m she called me by probably 7 30 because mm-hmm. we had put robbie to bed he was a baby then i couldn't talk anymore oh wow I, because if I opened my mouth, I started coughing and I couldn't stop. So I was literally texting Cody, who was on the side of me, mm-hmm. what I needed. What, like, can you get me this cough medicine? Can you get me some bone broth? Because, you know, that's going to cure me. Right. And um, all these things. I, so I, I literally couldn't talk. Checked my temperature. It was 105. Oh, jeez. And he was like, Becca, I, I think. And I was like, I know. I need to go to the ER. Like, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong at this point and so we called my parents who lived across the street and my mom was like no I'm calling an ambulance you're not driving there I'm calling an ambulance and I threw a fit I was throwing curse words at her like, <laughs> I am not this sick they will laugh at me <laughs> meanwhile you can't breathe <laughs> so, well they called an ambulance right I couldn't even you know I could barely like stand yeah point. well like breathing is essential to life exactly y- you need I, that Oh I was, God. like, really declining in that moment. Wow. Get to the emergency room. I'm there for hours. Um, and eventually, the next day, so probably, like, 12 hours later, I was still in the emergency room. And all these doctors start running in. And they're like, do you have this, 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 this symptoms? And they listed probably 15 things. And I was like, I have all of them. And they were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because we found – out that you don't have pneumonia, you have a terminal lung disease. And I was like, wow. Okay. So they were like, you have an autoimmune disorder called scleroderma. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no one's told you that before. I'm like, no one could figure it out. I'm like, and so that was all the symptoms that they listed were all my scleroderma symptoms. Oh, wow. They were like this autoimmune disease in combination with a couple others that I figured out I had caused this scarring on my lungs. And mm-hmm. they were like, and now we need to take you to surgery so we can biopsy it and confirm your diagnosis. And then we'll figure out a plan from there. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was in the emergency room by myself at this point because Cody had like gone home to get clothes. Oh, wow. Because <clears throat> we didn't realize that like maybe I wasn't being dramatic. Yeah. This or was I a real was thing. Like, maybe, maybe this was something. So that it, was wrong. in that moment, you're in a hospital room by yourself and they're telling you like, Oh, you have this and you have this and like, and, and what's going through your head. I was like, 
crazy Googling things. Uh, <laughs> and, like, crazy texting a couple of my friends. Like, guys, I think... Because they couldn't confirm anything. They were like, we right. think you have, you know, these things. So I'm, like, looking it up. And I'm like, I'm like oh, my God. This is bad. Yeah. I'm like, this is not good news. This can't be real. I'm not really going to die from this. Like, I was... I mean, I was in complete denial. And yeah. shock. And also just, like let's just keep rolling like mm -hmm. okay all of a sudden i was like getting morphine i was getting like all these iv drugs and mm -hmm. i was like just having to surrender to the medical care and the medical system like right then and there i get discharged about a week later and then i start seeing all kind of doctors mm -hmm. the correct kind of doctors at this point right um, and they were all both of them, I had a rheumatologist and a pulmonologist that I started seeing that were both very familiar with the diseases that I was getting diagnosed with. Mm -hmm. And they were both like, you have a year or two to live. That's without a transplant. Like, wow. And I was like, again, I couldn't breathe though without, I was like being pumped with so many steroids right. to be able to breathe. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I felt good then. Right. The rheumatologist, I was like, okay, tell me how long. Oh, you asked. Oh, yeah I want to know so I was like oh wow I was like okay tell me how long I have she was like in my head she said five to ten years uh-huh I was like that's terrible that is awful news that is not long like so then I go to my pulmonologist a couple days weeks later I don't remember and he was like you have one to two years left and I was like what <laughs> It's five to so it's five to ten years life expectancy after a transplant. Oh wow. And that's what she told me. That's just not what I heard. Right. So then I went back to her and I was like, I thought you said five to ten years right now. And she was like, No. She was like, You maybe have two years left oh my if you gosh. don't get a transplant. And I was like, I mean, Robbie's like two at this point. Right. I'm like, oh my god. So that was what really happened. Well, you're, you're disconnected, right? Like you're like, not only are, not only are you dealing with the idea that like, oh, I have not, I have one terminal illness and another term, I mean, in scleroderma, it doesn't ever get better. It just continues to get worse. It's just your, your quality of life, your mobility and stuff goes down. But, um, so you're dealing with both of these diagnoses and you're then getting this like timeline cut off of your life. And I'm assuming like your brain is just like, I'm done. It was. I felt like a puppet. Oh, like, wow. like, you know, those like, where you like, like marionette. Yeah. That's what I felt like for a solid, probably three months. Wow. Was just like doing whatever they said to do, taking mm -hmm. whatever pills to take, getting whatever vaccines. I, like, and I was like, not getting vaccinated. I was like against all of it. Yeah. Before. I would barely touch an Advil. And so then I'm like getting pumped up with like IV st steroids and like stuff that is like tearing my body up. Right. And at this point I'm like, well, the alternative is I just die. So surely all these medications and x-rays mm -hmm. and all the things, they're just going to do what I'm already getting. Like it's going to kill me, whatever. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'm surrendering. And that was one of the hardest things was having to surrender to like so the belief that I held so close to me of like, mm -hmm. I can do it on my own. 
I don't need outside help. Right. That was definitely one of the biggest lessons in the beginning of like, okay, I have to just trust all of these people who I've lost trust in for so long. Right. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I ended up back in the hospital. I had a collapsed lung. I was there for two weeks just hanging out with a collapsed lung on so much steroids, though. So I was like high on life. Feeling <laughs> amazing. Just literally warming the halls of the hospital. I was like doing, I like started working for Cody because I was like, I need stuff to do. Yeah. So then we end up, they're like, you need to go to Houston or Duke. Wow. Or, like that's, that's my rheumatologist was like, if this was my daughter, this is where I would send her. And wow. I was like, okay. Because apparently New Orleans has a transplant program, but she was like, I would go to Houston if I were you. And I was like, okay, great. Houston's right. close. Three hours. We were three hours from Houston. So Cody and I come um, for a week's worth of testing. And I'm talking, like, I didn't have a brain scan, but everything else was tested. Wow. Organ, everything head to toe. I, they ran tests. It was brutal. Wow. Um, and then at that point, I was on oxygen continuously. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who understands oxygen, um, at one point, like when I would exert myself, like exercise, mm-hmm. walk, not exercise, walk, yeah, walk, I would get up to like eight liters of oxygen. Wow. Yeah. And at that point, like I said, I was just like going through the motions and just kind of surrendering to whatever they told me to do. And, um, but I had just debilitating anxiety, oh which understandably, you know, like I didn't think anything was wrong, but mm-hmm. At that point, I was like on Xanax, I was on Trazodone, I was on Clonopin. I was like, my doctor was like, take what works mm-hmm. right now, like survive through this. Wow. And none of it worked. I was just having like constant panic attacks. It was, it, it was debilitating and it mm-hmm. was so scary and heartbreaking looking back on it. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine being my friends and family watching me just completely fall apart yeah Um, also not being able to fall apart because I was a mom to a two-year-old who was going through so many regressions because we would just up and leave and end up in the hospital for a week at a time and right did anybody at any point look at you and go like you're having this debilitating anxiety because you're dealing with your own death like the possibility of your own okay good Um, so kind of the backstory I have a brother who died oh wow so my parents have already had already lost a child Holy cow. So this is all very re-stimulating for them as well. He died when he was five. Oh my gosh. Uh, he had leukemia. This was 30 years ago at this point. Right. More than 30 years ago. But so having to go to them. Oh and my tell God. Them, like, I'm, you're going to lose another child. That was so hard. And it was so crushing to watch them watch me. It, it, that was like a really complicated dynamic. We went to Houston for a week. I did all of those tests. And this was in May, 2021. So this was like two months later from when mm-hmm. I ended up in the emergency room. They were like, you need to be listed right now. Wow. How soon can you move to Houston? Because we had to move because of distance wise. So a lung is only viable for four to six hours. Wow. And we lived three hours, but I-10 is like, you know, unpredictable. It, and yeah. it can take six hours to get to Houston and then you lose you lose the lung. Wow. So they were like, how soon can you move here? And I was like, let me go back home and figure it out. And two weeks later, we, we 
moved to Houston. Time period wise, we're looking at like within four months of being diagnosed, you're now uprooting three months. I think it was just at two months, two full months. Wow. So you're uprooting your entire family, which I'm sure your parents having dealt with loss of another child are now like, oh, now she's going to leave. We gave away almost everything that we owned. Wow. We gave away all of our furniture, all of our clothes. Like we took what we could fit in our apartment. We moved to the medical center. Wow. Um, We took what would fit in our apartment and we gave away everything else. We sold our camper. We sold Cody's truck. We sold those are the only two things we sold. Everything else we just gave away. Wow. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to stress about it. Just the donation center in our little town loved us because <laughs> we just kept, I probably brought like 25 loads. Wow. This donation center. Yeah. And then like my neighbor got all of our furniture. She repurposes furniture. I was like, you can have it all. Just. Cause you, you're stripping down. Like you're, you're going, okay, like here's our focus. And at that point, it was then that we really started to shift our like priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, "What is all of this? This is crap." Yeah. All of it, none of this matters. Like, yeah. if we're together and I'm getting treatment, that's the only thing that matters. And Cody would felt the exact same way. Give it away. Just give everything away. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need it. It's extra stress. Yeah. Um. And so then, yep, we picked up and we moved to Houston. I was really, really sick at that point mm-hmm. um, and scared. And that was like very suffocating. The fear that I felt mm-hmm. was all consuming. And oh. I, I think attributed to me being sicker and feeling sicker. And the, you know, there's a, like a fine line between being short of breath and then like panic breathing and then that makes you short of breath. And so that it was just like that constantly. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine like I have anxiety. I've, I have anxiety attacks. It's been like years since I've had one because I've learned how to manage it. But the way you breathe during a panic attack is terrifying because you feel like you're being strangled. But then to do that and not have functioning lungs, like I can't even imagine what that feels like. like. Is this because I'm dying right now or is it because I'm panicking? Yeah. Or is it, and then I would be like, well, I am dying. So now I need to panic. And right. it was just like, I was, I was in a like chokehold. Right. Fear. What are we going to do? What are you going to do with Rob? What, like what happens if I die? Yeah. And, six months what are we what is life going to look like for i was just paralyzed basically in fear and i just had so many extra medical stuff that started happening with all my autoimmune stuff i had a lot of skin issues i ended up having surgery skin graft on my eyelid holy cow Um, well i'm sure all the medications that you're taking on top of what's already happening is not assisting i mean it is assisting your body but it's also like knocking you down a little bit like yeah um so then i ended up in the hospital in houston i had rsv and that took me out for a while oh wow and and then that was in see august Mm -hmm. of 2021 and from that point right after that is when i started doing some like reflecting and some really intense therapy to just my whole goal was to die at peace wow you know um i i knew that 
you know, death was something we had to look at. Mm -hmm. And um, so Cody had been talking about these therapists and watching these documentaries about healing. Mm -hmm. And this was before I even got sick. He was talking to me about these things. And so at some point he was like, well, what do you think about going, doing like some therapy sessions with her name's Deanne? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I have nothing to lose. Like, mm -hmm. let me just try it. And I had done therapy my entire life. I was raised by a therapist. So like, but this was a different type of, she has like a, a track record of um, working with people with cancer, with terminal cancer, and then them making a full recovery. Wow. And so in the beginning, my family was like, that feels like a lot of pressure you're putting on yourself to heal. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm trying to heal my heart because right. if I, if and when I, when I die, I want to be at peace in my heart. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not doing this to like medically heal myself. I'm doing this to heal my heart. And so I started doing weekly calls with her. She's located in California. So it was like all zoom, mm -hmm. um, and really started doing some inner child work wow. and healing. And was interesting for me because I came from a, your very traditional, like normal family, right? No big trauma, like none of the like things like, like Bill who had childhood cancer, like, right. it, like I didn't come from divorced parents. There was nothing that I thought needed healing, except there were so many things that I held on to, um, and beliefs I held on to about myself that have been limiting me my entire life. Mm-hmm and holding me back and causing the like chokehold that I had with fear and anxiety to just like be exacerbated mm -hmm. uh, and all of my like stubbornness and uh, having to prove myself and all of those like very Enneagram eight things. Yeah. <laughs> Which we both are <laughs> for those listening. Like we're both eights. <laughs> I, I was channeling those qualities in such a negative way. That mm. I was holding on to so many, like, negative beliefs and limiting beliefs that I just was never as authentic as I thought I was being. Wow. Um, and so through, oh, God, probably 15, 20 sessions. It was mm -hmm. a lot. It was like, I worked with her for over a year. Um, and weekly that whole time? In the No. In the beginning, it was weekly. And then it was, like, every other week. And then monthly, as needed. Yeah, that's how our therapy was right after the fire. I think I think the first couple weeks, she was like, I want to see you multiple times a week. But, like, I was, I mean, now I can say, like, I was suicidal at that point. Like, I was ready because I caused the fire. So I was just like, I don't need to exist. Like, they don't, like, why am I even here? Because um, this is all my fault. So I think she saw that in us and was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and, like, and Bill... Yeah, Bill was, you know, dealing with PTSD because he was in the house. It was just, yeah, it was like a, no, we, I need to make sure that you guys are alive. <laughs> like, I know that now. But, um, no, that, I, and I think there's so many people that go through traumatic experiences um, and they're just like, yeah, I can deal with this. I'm strong. No, you're not. Like, like, right. you need, everybody needs that outside opinion and and viewpoint on what's happening and someone to just kind of like hold your hand through the process mm -hmm. and ask you questions to make you think differently and 
you know. And to see the blind spots. Exactly. There was so much that I was like, no, that's fine. I don't need to talk about, you know, this experience in my childhood. And she was like, no, I think, I think you do. (laughs) And so we would do, it was very cool. It's like very um, non-traditional therapy. Um, And just process through those. And through all of those experiences, really was able to like release Mm -hmm. a lot and shift even more. You know, in the beginning of the diagnosis, we shifted um, like our priorities, right? What Mm -hmm. was important? Just us. That's it. Staying alive. Yeah. Having time together. That was the utmost important thing. Yeah. But then at some point it was like, okay, but how do we live authentically and how do we live fully by prioritizing time and each other? Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of things that developed as time went on and listening to like the God nudges or the signs of the universe, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever you call it, instead of fighting against them, like embracing them and listening to them. A hundred percent. Like the first example that I can think of that really, we really listened. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, other than like picking up and moving to Houston. Right. You know, which is major. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, it was when I was in the hospital with RSV. So right in the beginning of moving to Houston, we had enrolled Robbie in a daycare mm-hmm. and I didn't want to, I wanted to, my plan wanted, I wanted to homeschool him, mm-hmm. but I had been working previously. So it wasn't really something that we could think about, but, but we enrolled him in school because it was what people did. Right. It was what three-year-olds were supposed to do. They were supposed to go to daycare. Yeah. In the midst of all this trauma, you're trying to do the most normal thing for him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Except uprooting him to a new city with new people and no one he knows Let's yeah. throw him into a school then. Yeah. So he was three by this point, correct? Mm-hmm. So that... No, he was still two. I was in the hospital and I'll, we were enrolling him in school. We had toured it. We had showed him, this is going to be your new school. It was right by our apartment. Like, mm-hmm. we were doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing because it was what everyone else does. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up with RSV in the hospital. And I was like, let's pump the brakes. He's going to be bringing home all these viruses. Oh, yeah. Like, what are we doing? And I was like, this is not actually what I want to do. And I was like, Cody, I think we need to think about this. Like, I think this is the, I think this hospitalization is like a sign for us to reevaluate. Wow. And so we pulled him. Mm -hmm. He never went. We pulled him. Great decision. Mm -hmm. And so we've noticed a couple times in the past couple years, when we start getting caught up in the keeping up with what everyone else does, right? Yeah. Um, the universe or God will stop us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's like now we can finally see the opportunities that are there. Yep. And pause and be like, okay, what is this? What can what can we learn from this? What are we trying to do? What's our real goal here? Not right. what everyone else is doing, not what we think our parents would want us to do not what we think society wants us like what is true to us and that's all that matters is that something y'all would have asked yourselves before the diagnosis um i think we would have asked ourselves yes knowing cody and i we were both very in tune with things but Mm -hmm. i don't think we would have followed through gotcha i think I, i we probably would have both gone against what felt true just mm-hmm. because we would keep up with 
and I don't even mean like keeping up with the Joneses like in a financial standpoint just Mm -hmm. this is where you go to school because this is where everyone else went to school and this is what you do because this is what your sisters did or your parents did Mm -hmm. or whatever we've been able to really like look at situations and be like where's the what's the lesson here Mm -hmm. before we make some crazy decision let's think about what we want and what will bring us the most joy and what will make us feel the most true to ourselves Mm -hmm. and that has been since the diagnosis and that has been since shifting our perspectives and doing a lot of work to heal my heart and Cody Mm -hmm. too. Cody worked with the same therapist. Um, we just did separately some. Yeah. I, Um, I remember our therapist talking about, um, I don't even remember at what point in our journey this may have been more recent, but we were talking about, uh, traumas and for Bill and I, we experienced the exact same trauma our house burned down but for us i was the cause he was inside the house when it burned and so like while it's the same trauma we're experiencing very different things and then she she compared that to someone like in y'all situation where uh in a couple one gets a terminal diagnosis they're not experiencing that personally but they're experiencing it like adjacent to the diagnosis and so it's the same trauma, very different experiences, obviously. Yeah, totally but awesome. in a situation like we have where, you know, I'm like the patient, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, I think Cody, as the caregiver, has a way harder role. Wow. I think his burden is so much heavier and his stress is so much heavier because he's always, or he is the one who takes care of me yeah. if I'm sick and if I need. And then he's the one who's going to be left. Yeah. What a stress that must feel like that I have no concept of. Yeah. Like I never think about, oh, well, he'll, he'll be going soon. So Mm -hmm. I need to think about all this future plans. I don't have that. Yeah. So I think a spouse or a caregiver has like a way harder and way more stressful experience. I think it's, I mean, it's just, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same trauma, but it's a different it's like you're experiencing it in a completely different way. Y'all are living differently. You're making these changes. You're doing things for you. You're really like introspective on a lot of situations. What's happening with your health at this point? Coincidentally or not coincidentally, um, since I started doing some really deep healing work, I have also been doing a lot um, better physically. Mm-hmm. So it really started at the exact same time. Um, my physical symptoms improving and my emotional and spiritual and mental, um, capacity kind of becoming more free and more authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I had said at that point, I was on oxygen almost continuously and pretty much from that moment on, I started decreasing my need for oxygen to the point where I never need it during, or rarely, rarely, rarely need it during the day. Which I have to say, when my mom goes in and they're like, well, how much oxygen are you on? And she's like, only as needed. And the doctors are like, but your chart says you were on full time. And like, she's had so many people, so many doctors, nurses, and people with interstitial lung disease who have said, you never get off oxygen. Mm -hmm. This is not a thing that happens. And I think that it's, incredible and very important to note that you changed the way you were thinking and that changed your body. And I think we're seeing more and more research coming out that like 
our thinking has a huge effect on what happens inside of our body. There, Dr. Caroline Leaf, I don't know if you've heard about her. She's incredible and does a lot of talk about how healing our minds can heal our bodies. And, you know, they, they've done studies about people uh, under massive stress and they're the people that are having high blood pressure and all these other like heart disease and all these other things. You know, there's so much about how our brain is functioning that affects how our body is functioning. And for you to, to be diagnosed and be where you are and then make the steps to change your, your brain and, you know, your heart, your internal self. And then at that same time, start to see improvements in your health is incredibly noteworthy yeah totally it's miraculous yeah and Um, and honestly the exact same experience my mom had like she was on full-time oxygen she was like look I just need to I need to change the way I'm thinking I need to think positively I need to and you know she did a lot of work too but as far as like making sure she was exercising every day and doing breathing and all these things but it was when she started changing her brain and the way she was thinking that her oxygen started to decrease her oxygen need for oxygen started to decrease. And I think too, so we talk a lot, Cody and I, you know, in depth about this experience and my actual lungs look the exact same as they did two years ago. That mm-hmm. has not miraculously gotten better. Right. But that has never felt like part of the journey mm-hmm. for us. I don't feel like that is supposed to miraculously get better because I mean, it is permanent, but right. Even you know, even in the miracles that do happen, that doesn't feel like part of our story. Mm-hmm. The miracle is what has happened the last two years. The miracle is us living authentically and us healing our hearts and us being happier and living, having the best years of our lives those last two years. Mm-hmm. That is the miracle. You yeah, know? for sure. And yes, there's always the possibility that I will get, if and when I get sicker, Mm-hmm. And I get any kind of rest. Like there's always a, the chance that, you know, I end up back to where I was and right. that's okay because that might be part of the process mm-hmm. and that might be part of our story. But the miracle is the healing that we've done mm-hmm. together and just emotional healing. That That's what it's always been about is healing our hearts, mm-hmm. not the disease. Yeah. I think it happens simultaneously. Your body getting better was a byproduct of you healing your mind, mm-hmm. which is so cool. <laughs> what, yep. like, what if we all start doing that? Like, what if everybody takes some time? And uh, our therapist and I were talking about this recently, and I was just like, Marla, what if, what if, like, if people are sick or depressed, they were just like prescribing regular therapy? Or what if just like, it was part of our insurance plans that everybody just covered like one therapy session a month. Like if you, if you have chiropractic coverage, they're like, Oh, you get 25 sessions a year. Like what if that was just regular? And she's like, there are countries that do that. And they have like lots of statistics that are like, Oh, we have a better mental health as a country overall. And I'm like, okay. So like, that's a thing we need to be, who can make that happen? (laughs) Call your representatives. (laughs) (laughs) anyways um so you guys have in the course of a very short amount of time from from what i'm hearing it hasn't even been two years yet (sighs) we are upcoming the two-year um we like to joke about it as the death date wow (laughs) but it 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 is approaching our two-year mark from when everything happened and when they Mm -hmm. told me that i would have one to two years left to live if I didn't get a transplant. Yeah. So, um, 
with that also comes an anxiety, the upcoming, you know, the, yeah, the anticipatory, the date grief and the date. And yeah, um, well, you know, I have to tell you, today is the anniversary of our fire. Is it really? Mm hmm. And it, six, six years today, I think we're at. And uh, it's interesting because the last last year we forgot. So I have to say, like, it, it comes to this point where, you know, the first anniversary, there was all this anticipation and like we were rebuilding at that point. I think we had like sticks up and the second there was all this anticipation and the third, all this anticipation by the fifth one, we were camping and we were sitting around the campfire and like, again, we've changed our whole lives in this different space and we're sitting around the campfire and I was like, oh wait, it's, it's the 10th, like today's the day. And so like, I knew it was coming this time cause I had just like mentally, but I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And it, as time goes on and as you do the work, and I think that's the key, it's not just that time's healing because time alone is not healing. Time yeah, plus work know. is healing. Absolutely. So yeah, we haven't even been two years yet, which is wild to think about. Um, and just the different people that we were two years ago versus who we are now. It's just... What's the most notable things that you feel have changed in in who you guys are and how you live? I think by softening my heart, I also softened my spirit and my personality kind of. And in kind of the opposite way, Cody has become more steadfast in who he is and more sure of himself and more decisive and more just we lean into our uh, our opposites, mm-hmm. he and I, and balance each other out. So where I became soft, where I used to be really hard mm-hmm. on the exterior, I've softened. Mm-hmm. And where he used to be soft has hardened in like all the most beautiful ways. Right. Right. Um, which has really been really great for our marriage, too. Absolutely. Um, and just him in his profession and as a dad and oh my another big one is how I am as a mom really yeah I think that's that's probably maybe number one that's transformed I I was a terrible newborn mom maybe not terrible but I really you felt you were terrible <laughs> I did not thrive in newborn oh I didn't um, either <laughs> I did not thrive in the one-year-old stage I did not thrive in the two-year-old stage mm-hmm. I was like I thought I was going to like these toddler years and there, and I, but I had so much stress and limiting beliefs and looking back, they were suffocating beliefs that I had about myself that no one else had about me. Right. It was just me. They made me irritable and short tempered with him and just not loving and patient. And, I mean, loving, mm-hmm. yes, but not as soft as I could have been with him. Right. And now... I think part of it is because the older he gets, the easier, you know, kids are easier when they can like, yeah. but I have so much patience as a mom now had that before. And it's the, my patience, my tolerance, my ability to just let him be him and figure things out on his terms. I, I just, it. my role as a mom has been the most transformative. Wow. Cody would agree. And I see that in your Instagram, like you post these pictures and he's like sitting on the counter and y'all are baking bread and he's covered in flour. And like my brain goes, I could never do that. Not, I, I mean, I know I could cause like we've done crazy things like that, but like you're just so engaged with him and mm-hmm. you're allowing him to explore. And I think it's absolutely stupendous. Like, yeah, it's, it's 
wonderful. Yeah. Honestly, the being his mom and channeling what we have and just like the freedom that he and I both, he's very much like me. He's got the mm-hmm. same temper. He's got the same, um, like, yeah. in him. Um, but when we're both together, it, it just works. And it's just been so fun to soften myself to love and kindness and patience. That's now it's not all the time. Obviously. Right. I mean, we're all real people that have, other feelings out pretty much every evening by 6 30 so and this is a hard question but um i'm asking it to most of our guests is if you had control if you had never gone through the hospitalization and the diagnosis and everything would you choose that and undo everything you've learned if i could, would i choose to undo it yeah absolutely not i would 100 percent go through it all again and stay exactly where we are right now. No, it was all worth it. All of it was worth it. Every single anxiety attack, every single fear, every single thing that we still feel in process mm-hmm. is all worth it to be where we are. It's beautiful. Yeah. I can think of nothing that I wish were different, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because even... There's so many things that happened before all of this that set us up for conversations and um, things that have happened before when I was working, I worked for hospice. Mm-hmm. So I was like having conversations about death literally all day, every day. Isn't it wild how the things that we're doing that just seem like, oh, I'm just a thing that this is just a thing I'm doing right now. But like when you're further down your path of life and you turn around and you look and you're like, oh, I get what that was preparing me for cool like even that we were able to have like conversations about death and dying and end of life care and stuff so naturally because it was just like part of who i was as a social worker at that time so all of it everything has happened so perfectly and beautifully to lead us here that no i would never change any of it Mm -hmm. and we love living in houston yes like this is what we were missing. Yeah. Maybe we just needed Houston in our life. Houston's secretly cool. I don't, I mean, I'd like to keep a secret because there's so many people moving here. You're allowed yeah. to stay though. <laughs> but um, no, like Houston is just this really, and I mean, I grew up here, so I knew it. I knew like culturally how amazing it is. The food scene here is incredible. Music, yes. art, all of it. Like it's a great place to live. and. So I was listed as active on the transplant list. Yeah. Right when I moved here, right? So you mm-hmm. can get a call at any moment. You always have to have your phone on. Cody has to have the phone on. Your mom has to have her phone on. Mm-hmm. Like no drinking, no leaving. It's very strict. Very, very, very strict. Yeah. And also very anxiety provoking. Oh, I'm sure. Anytime your phone rang. Um, You're like. Anything like that. Yeah. <sighs> so um, I went from being active on the transplant list um, from May to October. Mm-hmm. In October, they listed me as inactive because I had started doing better. Mm-hmm. They were like, we don't want to rush a transplant because the new lungs are good, but they're not as good as your, even your, your lungs. Yeah. Um, and so then from October until, um, actually no one really knows this news yet. So, um, from October until January 30th, I, um, am no longer on a transplant list. Oh my gosh. That's, That's really exciting. wild. Uh, yep. 
So now I'll be like in the advanced lung disease clinic, which is right. what your mom's in. Yeah. Even before I was not on the transplant list anymore, I mean, or listed as an active, we were like in love with Houston. We were like, let's buy a house. We're going to, we're going to settle some roots down here. And so like, we just loved it. We fell in love with the city. That was all probably irrelevant, but. No, it's beautiful. I Like I have so many friends who are from here or have lived in Texas and have never left Houston. And it, even me, like when I left, I was like, I'm never going back there. I like I moved to Oklahoma and I was like, I'm never going to live in Houston again. This is the end. And like for real, Oklahoma's I, I mean, Oklahomans don't hate me. Like it's not Houston. <laughs> it's not the worst, but it just wasn't great. But I really was like, I'm never moving back here. And it took like a very traumatic event to get me back here. And now that I'm back, I would never leave again unless like life led me in that direction. But exactly. I've learned to not say that I'm never leaving a place. Every never thing I've ever said has happened. The universe has a way of knowing uh-huh. you. Oh, yeah. Like we've talked. I'm like, I love ocean animals, but the idea of scuba diving freaks me smooth out. I'm not a scuba diver. I'm not going to do it. And here we are talking about going to take scuba diving classes because my daughter wants to get certified. And so it's just like, it's like, okay, like you just, and I think before the fire, I would have been freaking out. And now I'm just like, meh, all right, let's do this. This is the thing that's happening now. Cody used to always say, he was like, I would love to live in a big city. And I was like, absolutely not, not happening. And we were like in cahoots with, um, each other and some family and we were like talking about buying property and getting a cow and mm-hmm. getting chickens and living the thing that I thought was my dream. Right. And the I think the universe was like, uh uh-uh, uh, we we are not going down this road. There are other God was like, We have other plans. Yeah. We are not doing I, I was he really I really believe that it was like, no, no, you need something hard and fast to stop you. And these plans that you think you're making. Like, wow. If you're not having any of that, you are going a different path. So let's not think that you're about to go live in the country, mm-hmm. raising some chickens and a dairy cow. You're going to live in the city <laughs> and you're going to fall in love. Yeah. And you're never going to want to leave. Yeah. And here I am. Like, I grew up as an interlooper of Houston. And if you're from here, you know what that means. But uh, I was like, I will never live in the suburbs. And here I am living in the suburbs <laughs> 14 years. Like, what? <laughs> but, you know, it's just, I never say never. It's just not a thing that we should say anymore. Okay. So you have a YouTube channel and an Instagram and all these other fun things. Like, Ooh, I forgot about my YouTube channel. For a minute. <laughs> um, where can people find you? So on Instagram, I am, uh, my Instagram handle is this blissful pursuit. Um, and through that, we have, um, a link to our blog and our website, which is thisblissfulpursuit.com. And then on there, you have access to our YouTube channel, which really just gives the whole story of diagnosis, um, a lot of medical updates, um, because there's a lot of people who, from back home, who have been curious. And Mm -hmm. um, we didn't share a whole lot in the beginning because it was just too much. Yeah. Um, And so then we kind of had fun making these videos and really explaining what happened in the journey mm-hmm. and now we just do it whenever we feel like it which has not been in a long time but you know it's okay um, but that's where we are cool yes. well thank you for so much for doing this and being vulnerable and sharing your story um i mean the whole point of this is that people hear these stories and find their own healing within them or their own encouragement and so i know that yours will be one of those so thank you welcome 
This was so fun. Thank you so much for being here and listening to my words and sharing in these stories. I hope you'll join me in coming episodes as we hear the stories of real people and how they became stronger than. If you're excited about this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating or review or sharing a link to it on your social media? These things help podcasters and creators so much. Stronger Than is real stories from real people. Edited and hosted by me. Chris Sizemore. Original music by Rob McCatherine. If you want to learn more about us and our story, you can find us on our blog, strongerthanfire.com, or on Instagram at strongerthanfire. Mm-hmm.